Take your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter number four, please. The fourth chapter in the book of Philippians, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 10 of this particular chapter, and we're going to read down through verse number 19. And really, this is a two-part message in which we'll preach part one today, and then, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday as we gather, we'll preach part two, and that should, I would imagine, bring our study of the book of Philippians to a close. We've been in this book since the first Sunday uh, in the month of January, the first Sunday of 2022, and so here we are some five months later. That's not too bad. It only took us five months to get through four chapters. We're doing all right there. And, uh, and so we're uh, looking forward to seeing where the Lord leads us next. But would you look with me in Philippians chapter number four, and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. The Bible says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were all so careful, but ye lacked opportunity." Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction." Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why don't we do this? Why don't we read verse number 19 together? It's such a wonderful verse. And if you have a Bible, would you just look on it? And, of course, you'll see here on the, on the screen the verses found there. There's really no punctuation except for the final portion and where it just ends with a sentence. And so let's just read it together. Philippians 4, 19. Ready? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's a great verse, isn't it? I want to preach to you this morning a, a message that I've entitled. You know, it's part, part one of this, but, but a message I've entitled Financing the Lord's Work financing the Lord's work. You know, the economy is sort of all the rage at this point in time, isn't it? I mean, just about every time you turn on the radio or you turn on the television or you visit your favorite website where you get all of your news, you will find that there's something being written, something being talked about as it relates to the economy. Everything seems to have been impacted, right? I mean, every time you go to the gas station to fill your car up with gas, you're, you're hurting, aren't you? Your wallet is hurting because of uh, the financial issues that we're dealing with and because of the economy. Uh, how about real estate? If you have not looked, maybe I'd encourage you, uh, you own a home and go to Zillow.com and type in your address and you'll find your house is probably worth two times what you thought it was worth, two times what it was, what it was worth maybe five or six years ago. Housing market has absolutely gone through the roof. I suppose that's okay for folks that are selling, but it's a little challenge for those that are buying. Interest rates are on the rise. Supply chains are being disrupted. And I, I think all of us understand that we are seeing unprecedented disruption in the way that we do business, aren't we? 
like it or not, like it or not, money is on everyone's mind right now, isn't it? We're all thinking about it. And we're looking at bank accounts, and we're looking at rising prices, and we're looking at retirement funds, and we're looking at rising rent rates, or perhaps rising mortgage rates, and increases in taxes, and all of these things are, are, are part of our world and are part of our life. And, and, and so likely, likely you come to church to get away from it all, don't you? You're here thinking to yourself, oh, I'm coming to church, I'm not going to hear a message about finances. I'm not going to hear anything about money. We're going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the Bible and the Lord's work. Well, listen, I got bad news for you because the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, it is an unmistakable theme in the Word of God. And, and can I just say in a general sense, as we get started here this morning, can I just say that, that the Bible really, really teaches three what I believe are, are very general principles as it relates to finances and to money. And I want to share them with you. Uh, they're just sort of in a general sense, so let me just give them to you. We won't spend a lot of time on each one, but let me just say the Bible teaches us about money that the love of money is the root of all evil. First Timothy chapter number six and verse number 10, Paul wrote those words, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you have heard someone misquote this passage of scripture? Well, I know I have. Here's how, here's how it's normally stated. It's normally stated, money is the root of all evil. You know who's normally saying it? It's people that don't have a lot of money. They're saying, I'm good, because you know, if I had a lot of money, that's the root of all evil. No, no, listen, money is not the root of all evil. God never said that. God told us in this verse, the love of money is the root of all evil. And here's why. Here's why it's the root of all evil. If, if money and the pursuit and passion for money and for finances, if that becomes the primary motivation in your life as an individual, then there is nothing, there is nothing that a person won't do to accumulate more of it. That's what he's saying there. He says in that passage, he says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many people, many people have done great damage and great difficulty to their lives, both physically and spiritually, in the all-out pursuit of money. So the Bible teaches us in a general sense, general principles about money, that the love of money is the root of all evil. So, so if you're here today and you have a lot of money, that doesn't mean that you're an evil person, that you've done wicked things to attain that. But here's the problem. The problem is, is when we get to a point where that's all that we care about. That that is the primary motivation or drive in our lives is more and more and more never fully satisfied. That is when money becomes problematic. But money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Number two, I think we discover in a general sense from the Bible, Jesus taught that what we spend our money on reveals what we really love. In Matthew chapter six and verse number 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Just this past Friday evening, I was out with my wife and I was out with my youngest son. He's, he's nine years old and... Um, we were out just doing some shopping. My wife was, was shopping for a, for a dress, and my son and I were just shopping for anything but being in the women's dress section. You, you know how that goes. And so we went to a couple of stores. She couldn't find anything, and I suggested, well, why don't we go to this store? And the reason I suggested we go to that store is because right next to it is a Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> 
And I thought, we could have some fun in there, my son and I. We could have a good time in Dick's Sporting Goods. So, um, and I even, had a, I even had a gift card. I, it was burning a hole in my pocket. I had to spend some money. And so we went into the Dick's Sporting Goods, and we began to walk around a little bit. And, uh, and he's been bugging me. We just about two-minute walk from our house is a pickleball court. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't grow up playing pickleball. In fact, I didn't ever even heard of it until just recently. But our city, our community put in a couple of pickleball courts side by side. And he's been bugging me like crazy. Dad, can we get, can we get some pickleball equipment? And I thought, you know, I got this gift card and we're at Dick's Sporting Goods. And so I said, son, let's go see if we can find some pickleball equipment. So we're walking around the store and we start out on one end of the store. And as fate would have it, it always works out this way for me at least, is it's always the last place that I check. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I walked around. I mean, those stores are huge. I walked around the whole thing. I couldn't find anything pickleball. Finally, it dawned on me, pickleball courts are normally close to tennis ball courts. And so I bet it's where the tennis equipment is. And so we were way off in the baseball equipment and in the hockey equipment and in the football equipment, the clothes and the shoes. And we finally got to where the tennis rackets were, where the tennis balls were. And there it was. And he saw it. He said, Dad, there it is. There's the pickleball equipment. And so we walked over there. And I thought, all right, here we go. Boy, we're going to start a new hobby, a new culture, a new tradition. Me and my son, we're going to walk up to the pickleball course. We're going to play pickleball. And then I looked at the price tag. I kid you not, $90 for a pickleball racket. Now listen, I don't love pickleball. I've never played it in my life. I'm not spending $90 on a pickleball. Now, now if it was a new putter, a new driver, a new pair of golf shoes, maybe... But not, but not for pickleball equipment. Why? Because I don't love it. If it's $90 for steak, now we're talking. But you get the idea, right? General, general principles as it relates to finances is, is what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you really love something, you won't have a hard time investing in it. Because you love it. Some of you, you love cars. And so you've got, you know, you've got your car that you normally drive, and then you've got your car that you drive on the weekends, you know, or your mo- motorcycle, or, which we're, we're all wanting to drive motorcycles right now with gas prices being where they're at. But, but uh, you get the idea that you have, you have certain passions towards certain things, and so as a result, it's not a problem. It's not a problem to invest your money in those things. Why? Because you love it. So therefore, when you, when you look at your checkbook, did you know that your, your checkbook is communicating a message about you? And, it, and it's, saying, it's saying, this is what you love. Now, the truth of the matter is, if, unless it's a sinful thing that you're involved in, there's nothing wrong with loving. I mean, I, I communicated to you a minute ago, I, I enjoy the game of golf. I don't play it often, but I like to. I like to get out there and to, and to hit the ball around. And I, I like going to a, a restaurant every once in a while and having a nice meal. Nothing wrong with that, but it is an indicator. It is a, uh, it is a statement that is being made that this is what you're passionate about. So Jesus taught, Jesus taught that what we spend our money on reveals what we really love. And can I say, finally, Jesus in the Bible teaches this, that giving equals blessing. Giving equals blessing. Now hold your place in Philippians 4 and go with me to Luke chapter 6. If you would, Luke chapter 6, and look with me in verse number 38, please. Luke chapter 6, and verse number 38. Notice what Jesus says here in this text. He says, and Jesus is speaking here, and he says this, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now, how shall it be given unto you? Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Now, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. 
when I go when I go to a restaurant and I order a beverage, a drink, uh, uh, for me, if, if it's not going to be water, uh, it's going to be Diet Coke. That's typically what I'm going to get. And and so and so when they have the when they have the place where you refill your own drink, what what do we do? We put the ice in and then we fill it up. And if you're anything like me, I wait for a second. Because if I'm drinking, if I'm drinking Diet Coke, then the, the fizz comes, sort of comes to the top, and then you gotta let it settle. And I'm lazy, and I don't wanna get out of my seat too many more times than I have to. And so I'm gonna make sure that that beverage is filled to the very top, right? So I'll wait a minute. And I'll let it, I'll, I'll let the thing settle just a little bit, and then I'll put it back up there. And there have been times that's come back to bite me. There have been times in which I'm not paying attention, or it comes out a little too fast, and before long I got pop all over my hands. Why? Because I was greedy. Because I, I wanted to have as much as I possibly could. Did you, know, did you know that Jesus taught that if you'll give to the Lord and to his work, that he will give to you in much the same way? That he'll take, he'll take your container, so to speak, and he'll, uh, he'll give it to you in good measure, and then he'll press it down a little bit so that you can just fit a little bit more in there. And then he'll, he'll, he'll give you more till the fact that it's even running over. He'll shake it all up so that there's room for more, so that everything that has been poured in will settle into other places. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this giving equals blessing. Now listen, there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that I, that I don't know about the Bible, but I do, I do know this, that giving equals blessing. Giving is a form of sowing and reaping. It really is. When we give, we are sowing. And you can be sure, you can be sure of this unmistakable principle that when we sow, we will reap a harvest where it is that we sow. So understand this, giving should never be done because of manipulation or because of guilt. Those, those who give, those who give, they know, they know this truth that God's richest and most bountiful blessings come as a result of giving. Now listen, I don't, I don't believe that we preach a great deal on this particular topic. We, we never, I never want to be known as a ministry that's trying to influence every last dollar out of folks. But I want you to know this, I do have an obligation to preach and to teach all of God's word to God's people. And since we've been preaching through this book, those of you who've been around here for a while, you know we started this book back in January. And I can't just say, well, it's Philippians chapter number four and, and, uh, and, and it's verse 10 to 19 and it's talking about giving. And I know that people don't really like to hear about giving. Therefore, we're just gonna end this series a little early. Listen, if you, if you go to a church that, that that's their mindset, that's their attitude, let me ask this question, what else are they not telling you? In other words, if they're not going to teach you clear principles about giving from God's word because people don't like to hear a message on giving, then, then what, what happens if people don't like to hear a message on sin? What happens if people don't like to hear a message on hell and the reality of hell? You going to skip over that as well? So you understand, I'm under obligation as a pastor and as a preacher and as a teacher of God's word where I have to preach everything that's found in this book, not just what we all like, we got to talk sometimes about some challenging topics and some challenging things. Now we, in our text, we discover really two sides of this concept of financing the Lord's work. Number one, we discover the, the, the givers. We discover the givers, and those are God's people in the local church. And, um, and, and then and then next week, with, with the Lord's help, we're going to talk about the recipients of the gifts that are given, 
which of course we understand that we give to the Lord, but in a practical sense, we, we give also to the, to, the, to the preachers, to the ministers, the evangelists, to the missionaries. In this case, it's the church at Philippi. Those are the people of God. They're the givers, and they're giving their gift, and the recipient of the gift is the apostle Paul, the servant of the Lord. Now, Paul clearly reveals some important truths regarding financing the Lord's work. And so, since we're gonna talk about the givers uh, here this morning, let's, let's discuss, number one, this idea that giving, number one, is the responsibility of God's people. Giving is the responsibility of God's people. Now, we are, in, in many respects, you are a, you're one, one person, but you exist in, in more than one form. Let me, let me explain this. You are a spiritual being who lives in a physical world. All right. So, so in other words, you're, you're more than just what meets the eye. When I see you, I see the color of hair you have. Uh, I see that you're male or female. Uh, I see what color skin you have. Uh, as you talk, I, I understand maybe what language you speak or, or, or perhaps maybe you have a, an accent. I can tell that maybe you're not necessarily from the United States. Uh, you've moved here. And I can tell lots of different things. I talk about how tall you are, uh, what color eyes you have. Uh, we can, we can discern a lot of those things. But understand this. You are more than what meets the eye. You are a spiritual being. I, I could say it this way. You are an eternal being living, trapped, confined in this physical world with a physical body. And because of that, and, and because of that, listen, it is necessary that both your spiritual needs as well as your physical needs be met. Because you are a spiritual being living in a physical world with a physical body, you have physical needs and you have spiritual needs as well. Now God, God's way is, is, is this. God uses his called servants, preachers, teachers, pastors, missionaries, evangelists. He uses his called servants to minister to the spiritual needs of his people while at the same time using his people to meet the physical needs of his called servants. Now you're looking at me kind of funny. So let me say that again, all right? God uses his called servants to minister to the spiritual needs of his people. So in other words, you came in here this morning and you, and you anticipated, I'm gonna hear a message from the Lord Nobody, listen, I'm under no delusion of this. Nobody's come to hear what Peter Folger has to say because I'm just like everybody else and it doesn't really matter what I have to say. My opinions are just that. They're my opinions and they're not infallible. I've thought lots of things that weren't actually so. So you've not come, you've not come to hear what I have to say. You've come, you've come to hear what does this book have to say? And the reason why what this book has to say is important because this book is the word of God. So therefore, listen, you've not come to hear a message from the pastor. You've come to hear a message from God and from his word. So, so here's what I'm saying. You've come into this room this morning expecting that your spiritual needs be met. And they are many. And can I tell you that God's intent is that you get your spiritual needs met here. But by the same token, that as you come and your spiritual needs are met, that you, that you, that you leave a gift here so that the needs of the work of God are met as well. 
So that the needs, listen, the needs of the pastor and the pastoral team and the missionaries that we have obligations to and perhaps even some of the, some of the community work that we're trying to do here in this community, that those things be taken care of. So what I'm saying is God uses his called servants to minister the spiritual needs of his people while using his people to meet the physical needs of his called servants. And when all of that takes place, God is pleased and the needs of his people are are met, both spiritual and physical. So let's walk through this text because Paul reveals five truths about giving as it relates to God's people as we look in our text. Number one, let me say this. When God's people give, his servant rejoices. When God's people give, his servant rejoices. Look in verse number 10, would you? Where Paul writes, Paul writes, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why? That now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So, so Paul begins this portion of this particular letter, and he says, I want you to know something. I rejoiced greatly. Well, when somebody's rejoicing, we sometimes ask the question, well, why are you so happy? Why are you rejoicing? Why are you so excited? And he tells us why. He says, because your care of me is flourishing, therefore my heart is filled with rejoicing. Now, now, giving, their giving led to great rejoicing from the apostle. If their giving led to great rejoicing, then wouldn't the reverse also be true? What I'm saying is this, their lack of giving, if, it, if, that, was a, if that was a reality, their lack of giving would, would lead to great sorrow, great disappointment. Great frustration, great heartache, wouldn't it? The servant, the servants of God, listen, you must know this. The servants of God, they rejoice greatly when God's people give generously. Now, I, I want to I consider, consider this because Paul writes in verse number 10, and he says he rejoiced greatly, but what was he rejoicing in? Did you see that? He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because the gifts were coming from the church at Philippi, so the gifts were coming from specific individuals, people that he knew, names, and he mentions Epaphroditus in our text, and so he's thinking, and perhaps maybe some of the gifts even came with a note that was attached, so that he you know, knew, okay, this comes from this family, and this comes from this family. Oh, what a blessing, this is going to meet this need. And yet, and yet Paul doesn't say, I rejoiced in you, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. You know, that leads me to conclude, that leads me to conclude this, that when we give biblically, you and I become the vehicle through which God accomplishes his purpose. You say, what's significant about that? Likely there's someone sitting in the room this morning and you're, and you're saying, you know, I really feel like I'm not doing that much for the Lord. And maybe it's age and stage of life. Uh, for instance, in the 930 service, um, a, lot of, a lot of our folks at 930 would be maybe a little bit older. And, and, and I, I mean, no, no disrespect by that, but there are folks, many of them that have been around here. We, we began that service a couple of years ago for the purpose of social distancing and that sort of thing so that they could have a service where they feel comfortable being and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and so many of them are old, older. And, and as a result, I almost got myself in real trouble there. Boy, I got, I'm glad I caught that. Don't tell them. Don't tell them what I said. Let's just keep that between us, all right? And, 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 and so, so perhaps many of them, maybe they used to be able to do more than they're able to do today. 
and their, and their body no longer functions in the way that it once did. So, so I mean, they can't get on a bus and, and, and bang on the ceiling and, and sit with kids in, a, in one of those tiny little seats and, 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 and hit the bumps that those buses normally hit. They can't, they can't do all of that. And, and, on a, and on a Saturday morning or on a Monday night when we do Great Commission Night, they're not, they're not going to be able to, to, to take a map and to take a whole street and go door to door and walk up the stairs and knock on the door and talk to people. Just not physically, their body's not going to be able to allow them to do that. But, but you, know what? You, know what they, you know what they can do, what we all can do, is we can give. And, and listen, when you give, you're being used by the Lord. To rejoice, listen, to rejoice the heart of the servant of the Lord. I remember I was a young man, junior high and high school. I remember, you know, beginning to develop a burning passion to serve the Lord, even into my college years. And I would, I would sit in an auditorium like this and watch someone preach, and I would be like, man, I wish I could do that. I'd love to be up there. Problem is, nobody, nobody wanted to hear a message from me when I was 18 years old, 19 years old. Nobody wanted to hear me say anything. And as a result, there were times in which I sort of felt like I'm really not doing much. I believe God's called me to preach, but I'm really not preaching much. I'm not teaching very many people, and that's a bit of a frustration. So, so you may be a young person here today, and you feel like, man, God's, God's given me a calling, and I want to do so much more for the Lord, but because of the age and the stage that I'm in, I'm not able to do much. But listen, listen, you can give. And when you do, when you do, you and your life become the vehicle, the avenue through which God accomplishes his purpose. So the apostle Paul says, I rejoice not in you, but I rejoiced in the Lord. Because Paul understood this, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. God is the source. God is the giver of all gifts. Sometimes God gives them in a miraculous way, but, but many times God just chooses to use people through which he gives the gifts and some of his best gifts. So we see here, number one, that when God's people give, his servant rejoices. Can I say number two? God's people give in response to a need or to a burden. Now again, in verse number 10, he says, I rejoice so greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now let me ask you this question. Why do you suppose their care of him flourished again? And what do you suppose was their lack of opportunity? I, I, I came across something that's so fascinating to me this week as I was studying this particular text. In, in this era when a, uh, when a Roman uh, prisoner was, was, was incarcerated, when they were placed in a, in a form of, uh, of prison or bondage, um, they were not the responsibility of the Roman government. Did you know that? I never knew that. You do understand, right? I, and again, I don't, I don't want to be offensive or, or talk about something that might be, might be hurtful to some of you because some of you, you may have a family member. Maybe you even yourself were incarcerated at some point or, or time and, and God's given you victory and you're living a, a wonderful life now. But, but you understand that when someone is arrested in the United States of America and they are prosecuted and then they are put in, in, in prison, they're detained, they are our responsibility. Those people are. So we feed them, don't we? And we clothe them. We give them a bed to sleep in. We, we give them air conditioning, I would assume, in the summer, and we give them heat in the winter, and we, and we take care of them. We provide for them. I'm even assuming that if they have physical needs, health needs, that we even provide maybe a doctor or a physician's care for them. And we could, we could talk about all of that, all, all that we want to, but that is the way that things are currently structured. But did you know that a Roman prisoner uh, was, was not under that kind of care of the state? 
The, the Roman government, uh, their responsibility to their prisoners was simply to lock them up and to make sure that they could not escape. But they were under no obligation to feed them, to clothe them, or to take care of any of their necessities. So, when a prisoner in Rome was imprisoned, he had to hope that his family would take pity on him. Or that some friends would remember him and would send food and would send clothing and would send blankets to keep him warm at night and, and would send maybe some other basic necessities that they, that they would need. And so Paul says, Paul says, listen, before I was in prison, you didn't have the opportunity really to give because I was out, I'm a tent maker and I'm ministering in different places. And he does talk about some of their giving before, but he says, now your care of me hath flourished again because you've been given an opportunity because there is a real need that exists here. So what ends up happening is as God's people in Philippi, as they learn of Paul's imprisonment, oh, they're troubled and they're burdened for him. Oh, man, if we don't do something, he's not going to be able to eat. He's not going to have adequate clothes to wear. He's not going to have adequate things, to blankets at night, and, and he won't have a pillow on which to rest his head, and, and he's probably likely going to need maybe some, some medicines and some different things, so let's, let's gather a collection, and, and let's give to the, the apostles so that we can meet his needs. And can I say that in much the same way, the servants of the Lord who vocationally labor in the word are reliant upon the giving of God's people. Now listen, I'm not in prison today. I'm not in prison today, but listen, tomorrow you'll get up and you will, you will drive to your place of employment and you'll walk in there and you'll sit at your desk and you'll fire off some emails. Some of you, you will take a time card and you'll punch a time clock and you'll go quote unquote on the clock and you will receive a paycheck. You will receive a paycheck from a corporation, uh, from a business, from an LLC, from an entity of some sort. But listen, tomorrow morning when I get up, I come to the church. And I'm reliant and trusting, and so are the other men that serve here and the other women that serve here. And we are trusting that God's people are going to give because if they don't, well, then how are our needs going to be met? This is exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, you have opportunity to give. You lacked it before because, you know, I was making tents and I was, you know, under the care and an obligation responsibility of other places where I was ministering, but, but very few people were giving, but then you learned and your care of me hath flourished again. Why? Because there's a need that exists. There's a burden. Pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and the like, they're dependent upon God's people for housing, for clothing, for food and other basic necessities. And listen, this is God's way. It's what God designed. Consider with me, if you would, 1 Corinthians 9, in verses 9 to 11. You see it here on the screen, and, and he writes, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. And then he asks a question at the end of the verse. He says, Doth God take care for oxen? You know what, he, you know what he's asking? He, he, he's asking? He's asking this question. He says, Does God really care that much about oxen that he would include that in the law? Now, here's, here's, here's what is really being taught there. He's saying, listen, you've got an ox, and that ox goes out into the field day after day after day, and they labor in that field, and that oxen makes your life a little bit easier. It's a tool in the hand of a farmer. And he says, don't you dare. Don't you dare bring that oxen back, back into the barn at night and muzzle that thing. He says, you take the muzzle off, 
And he says, you make sure, Moses is writing here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, you make sure that, that, that the grain and the feed, that it is full, that that oxen has as much as it could possibly need. And you better make sure that the trough that holds the water, that it is full as well. Why? Why? Because that oxen is a tool in your hand. And if you take care of that oxen, then it's going to take care of you. And then he asks the question, does, does God really care that much about oxen? Is that why he gave us that? Notice Paul writes, or saith he it altogether for our sakes. He's, he's saying, is it possible that that oxen, that that oxen teaches us a lesson about giving to the Lord's work? He goes on to say in that particular text, you can follow along there on the screen, he says, for our sakes, no doubt this is written. He said, this is, this is, this is bigger, this is bigger than just the farmer and his farm. This is way, way bigger than that. No, there, there's a spiritual truth. There is a, there is a, there's an important eternal truth that you need to get a hold of. And here it is. There, here it is. He says, for our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. You know what he's saying there? He's saying when a man goes out into the field spiritually and he's plowing in the day, you know what, you know what, you know what he's plowing? And he's saying, hey, listen, I'm working really hard, but I know my needs are going to be taken care of. I have hope that someone's going to look after me and someone's going to take responsibility for me. And so when I'm winning souls to Christ and I'm counseling people and I'm preparing messages and I'm sitting down and I'm trying to deal with church administration issues, I'm sitting here saying, listen, I can do all of this and I don't have to worry about my needs being taken care of because the people of God are going to not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. So the truth of the matter is, I'm nothing but an ox <laughs> in many respects. That's what the pastor is. That's what the preacher is. He says that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Now listen, here's, it, here's the end of the verse. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? In other words, he's saying, listen, if you come week after week and someone addresses your spiritual needs and they preach a message to you from God's eternal word, then isn't it just reasonable to understand if they're going to be able to stand here and they're going to preach a message from God's word, they're going to have to have time to do that. And if they're going to be there at your hospital before you have surgery, and if they're going to be there at your loved one's bedside as they breathe their last breath, and if they're going to be there when your marriage is struggling, and if they're going to be there when your children graduate from school, and they're going, to, they're going to be available for those things, they're going to minister your spiritual needs, is it, any, is it any big deal if they are blessed by your carnal things? You know what he's saying there? He's saying the, the people of God, they give so that the servants of God can do what God's called them to do. The Bible, he goes on to say in verses 13 and 14, the same text, do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Can I say number three, and I must, I must hurry. When we give, we communicate a message. When you and I give, we communicate a message. Would you look in verses 14 and 15? Look, he says, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me. Well, communicated with you in what way, Paul? As concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So listen, when you and I give, when you and I give, we communicate a message. 
Now, now likely, likely, if you're giving in a biblical sense, you, you didn't walk in this morning with your offering and, 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 and get everybody's attention in the lobby. I want everyone to know that I'm giving my offering this morning. None, none of us would do that. That wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, it wouldn't be right. Uh, you would lose your reward. You would lose your blessing if you did that according to Scripture. But make no mistake about it, when you, when you gave, if you gave this morning, whether it was in the offering box in the back or whether you give online, when you gave, your offering, your giving made a statement. And I want to share with you, I want to share with you three statements that are made when we give. Number one, the first statement is this. Here it is. We know what you're going through. We know what you're going through. That's specifically found here in verse number 14. He says, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, I was not aware that, 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 that the Roman government did not take care of their prisoners. I didn't know that until I studied uh, this week. But likely, likely these people knew that. They knew how this all worked. And they understood that when someone was in prison, there were, there were people that were benevolent and had a good heart, probably more often than not family, if not that close fam- friends and, and, and other maybe extended family members who, who took up for that person and who met that need. And as a, and as a result, they, uh, they, they, they were saying, listen, we're sending this gift because we know where you are and we know what you're going through. We know you're in prison and we know that you're not having adequate food and we know that you don't have adequate comfort and, and we know that you don't have all the clothes that you need and all of your physical needs met. Therefore, we're giving this gift because we know what you're going through. And when you give, maybe it's to missions or maybe it's just to the general fund, you're, you're basically saying, listen, listen, pastor, we understand that you're depending on us to meet your needs. Missionaries, we understand that you're depending on us to keep you in places like Kenya and the Ivory Coast and South Africa and Brazil and, and, and other, other places all around this world. Therefore, therefore, we're giving because we know what you're going through. We know, we, we, we know that you need uh, your needs to be met and therefore we're, we're taking up for you in that way. But there's a second statement that our giving makes. It's not only we know what you're going through, but I believe when we give, we're, we're making this statement and that is this, we love you. We love you. Now, I think, I think that statement is, is made in our giving in, in, in two directions. Number one, Lord, I love you. Therefore, I'm giving to your church. I'm giving to your, your assembly. I'm giving to your house because, Lord, I love you because you've changed my life and because you have everything that I have in life that is good. Every one of my blessings comes from thee. But I, I think in, in some respects, you're, you're also saying, that you, you love the pastor and you love the missionaries and you love the other servants that are serving in a full-time vocational capacity here on this property and, again, people that we have obligation to through our commitments. You're saying we, 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 love, we love the work that's going on here and, and we love what God is doing in this place and we love the fact that when we come, there's a Bible message that is prepared and the building is clean and the lights are on and, 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 and that it's comfortable for the most part, it's comfortable in here. Every once in a while, we, it's a little warmer than it should be, or maybe it's a little cooler than it should be. But for the most part, it's, it's comfortable enough to sit here for an hour or whoever's preaching maybe a little bit longer than that. But you get the idea. You're, you're, you're making a statement. You're saying, we love you. And we support you. And we're glad, we're glad that, that you are in this, in this place. Jesus said, as we said a moment ago in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasures, there will be heart be also. So giving is a clear statement that love, uh, that love compels the giver who is giving. Love for that person, love for the cause, love for the vision 
that is the recipient of such a gift. Number three, third statement is this, we believe in what you're doing. We believe in what you're doing. You know, Paul wasn't in prison for foolish living and poor choices. He's in prison because he preached the gospel faithfully. If Paul was there because he had mishandled funds or because he had stolen or because he had physically abused someone or maybe even ended someone's life, they'd be under, they'd be under no obligation to give to that. But because, because Paul was in prison because he was living a holy life and because he was preaching the gospel, because he was writing letters and he was teaching people, they, they were essentially saying, we, we believe in what you're doing. And we want you to keep going. The world is a better place, Paul, because you're in it. And if we don't give, likely you might be taken out of this world because no one's gonna provide food for you. No one's gonna provide for your necessities and for your needs. And because we believe in you, we want you to stick around a little bit longer. Therefore, we're giving because we believe in what it is that you're doing. Number four, giving is pleasing to God. Verse number 18, would you look? But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Did you see that? Giving, giving not just pleasing to God, it's well-pleasing to God. See, Paul indicates that, that not only did their giving bless him as a recipient, but it also blessed the Lord who was well-pleased with this. And, and, he, and he, writes, he writes here that New Testament giving is sort of similar to the Old Testament sacrifices that the people offered. In the Old Testament, they would bring, they would bring uh, bulls and goats and, and cattle to the house of worship, and they would have those, those animals slaughtered. Their blood would be shed, and then those animals would be, would be burned. And the Bible says that, that those offerings would ascend. The, the smell of the smoke that was burning, it would ascend up into heaven. And that that smell, listen, that smell was pleasing in God's sight. Why? Because it was a beautiful odor and fragrance of faith and obedience. That's what it was. In the Old Testament, as the people worshiped and gave the sacrifices God demanded, they did so in faith and obedience, and God was well pleased. And by the way, there are two things that were being done. Animals were being slaughtered, and that was a picture of the fact that the Lamb of God was someday going to come, and he was going to be slaughtered in order to take away the sins of the world. So those people, they were looking ahead, and they were saying, Lord, we believe that you're going someday to send a Messiah who is going to suffer and die to atone us from our sins someday. Therefore, we're offering that sacrifice, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. Not only were they offering the sacrifice in faith and obedience, but they were also giving so that the priests and the Levites could live. Because the priests and the Levites, they would, they would take the meat that had been burned on the altar and they would feed their families with it. So we see that all the way, all the way through, this is God's way. Now listen, understand this. In the New Testament, we no longer bring flesh to a house of worship to sacrifice. And by the way, I'm thankful we don't have to do that anymore. And here, by the way, here's why we don't do that. Because God sent his son Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. That lamb was, that lamb was different because that lamb came in human form. That lamb was, was without spot or blemish, sinless in every way. And God, God poured out his wrath just as all of those animals have been slaughtered throughout the Old Testament, God poured out his holy wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ. And the blood of Christ dripped from his body to wash away, listen, to atone for your sins and for my sins. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, we won't have time to turn there even to quote it, 
But the Bible says about Jesus that he was a more excellent sacrifice. That, 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 that Jesus is so much better than the blood of bulls and goats and calves and lambs, that the blood of Jesus is sinless, that it is spotless. And because Jesus was, was slaughtered, because Jesus was crucified, as a result, listen, I don't have to bring any more flesh to a house of worship. And I, I must remind you, Jesus, Jesus was crucified, and he was buried, but he rose again the third day. I stood yesterday at a, cemetery not far from here and I conducted a graveside service and I reminded those that were there that because Jesus Christ came out of that grave you and I have hope that someday someday through Christ and what he's done for us that someday we're going to come out of that grave as well I'm so thankful for that truth but listen you don't you don't bring flesh to a house of worship anymore instead instead what God designed is God designed that you bring a financial gift to say that you love the Lord and, and, and to, to participate and to give to, to his work. That, that's, what, that's what we do. And he says, he says, when you do, it is like those sacrifices. That smell ascends up to heaven and God is well pleased. Finally, and lastly this morning, can I say this? Giving unlocks the blessings of God. Would you look in verse 19? He says, but my God shall supply all your need. That, that but seems to indicate that it comes as a result. God supplying all of their need comes as a result of them being faithful in their giving because that's been the whole context. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here's what you must know. You must know that God's riches and glory by Christ Jesus are infinite. I, I don't know what your need is today, but I do know this, our God can meet it. Did you know that we, as we study the scripture, we find we find. Different examples of God providing for his people in unusual ways. Did you know that he is capable, God is capable of feeding his people? Did you know that? In the Old Testament, the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they wandered for 40 years. They were in wilderness. There, there wasn't, you know, there weren't apple trees around. And, and there, there were animals, but they were their animals. And, and, and you talk about sort of budgeting for a, you know, for a day in which they're really gonna need it. And there, there, there just wasn't food. And God said, that's no problem with me. And every day, listen, every day God cared for their physical needs by feeding them. Manna and quail. Did you know, did you know secondly, that God, God is capable of quenching your thirst? Did you know that? Did you know that on several occasions they were in a place in which they needed water to drink? Again, they're in the wilderness. There's not a lot of fresh water around. And did you know that God provided water out of a rock? And did you know that there was a time in which they came to a, a body of water and they were so eager to drink it, but the water was bitter? You know that God turned, transformed that water from being bitter into being fresh and pleasant and they were able to drink and their, and their thirst was quenched? I'm just simply saying, I don't know what your need is, but I know that God can meet your need. Did you know that God, our God is so great that he could even extend the life of a thing? You know the Bible tells us in, in the book of Deuteronomy 8 and verse number four, he says about this wilderness wandering 40 years, he says, thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. You know, God did something special when they were wandering in the wilderness. Very unique. For 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. Now, likely, likely you're wearing something that is less than 40 years old today. I hope you are at least. But if you're like a lot of people, there, there's probably some, some coats and some suits hanging in a closet somewhere that are 40 years old. And they should just be discarded of. Just get rid of them, take them to the thrift store, throw them away, do something with them because you're not gonna need them anymore because they're no longer good. But, but God is capable, listen, God is capable of extending the life of a thing. I'm just simply saying, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A young boy went to the local store with his mother one day. And the shop owner, a 
a kindly man, he passed him a large jar of suckers and he invited him to help himself to a handful. He said, here you go, son, reach into this jar and take as many as your hand can hold. And the boy kept his hand in his pocket and sort of looked at him sheepishly and, and he held back, which was very uncharacteristic of him. The shop owner eventually pulled the jar closer to himself and he reached in and he pulled out a handful and he handed it to the little boy. He goes, here you go, son. And when they got outside, the boy's mother was a little embarrassed and a little confused and and she asked, she said, why, why, why didn't you take a, a handful of suckers when offered? To which the little boy replied, Mama, because his hand is much bigger than mine. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is, listen, the hand of God is much bigger than your hand is much bigger than my hand. And if you and I will just be faithful, we can bring our gifts to the Lord and we can rely on him. Why? Because his hand, listen, his hand is bigger than yours. Why should you give why should you give? Well, you should give because it rejoices the heart of God's servants. It meets a need or a burden, truly. It communicates a beautiful message. It's well-pleasing to God. And, and it unlocks the infinite riches and glory by Christ Jesus.